Yeah, you're very welcome to Tuesday's Richie Allen Show. How are you today? Are you well? It is October 31st. That means one thing and one thing only. It means it's Halloween, so it is. It's Halloween. We love Halloween, don't we? Remember all of that jazz back in the 70s and 80s when we were terrified of those types of movies? Because they're pretty harmful these days, aren't they? Or harmless, harmless is the, is the way I should say it. Right, going to take your telephone calls in around about a half an hour's time. Not taking the mickey now. We're not taking the mickey at all, really. I want to hear from you about uh, any supernatural encounters you may have had over the years. Genuine ones, please. I want genuine ones, no messing now. And uh, you do that by phoning, by WhatsApping, or by Skyping the programme. I'll give it to John Carpenter's music there. Did John Carpenter write that himself, that theme? think he might have done. Anyway, Tuesday's Richie Allen Show. That's the one that's more like it. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Yeah, it is funny because when I was younger, that music would scare the pants off me. I was like seven or eight years old when I saw that for the first time, Halloween. Anyway, look, yeah, I'm looking forward to taking your calls on encounters or feelings or presences or poltergeists or anything. Genuinely, by the way, this isn't fun. I want to hear about them because I'm very interested. It was a good idea by my old pal, Gina and Crowley. So let's do that then in the programme. Before that, of course, I'm going to have a quick rundown through the day's top news stories. We'll have one or two clips for you as well. Then we'll take a break and I'll take the calls. I'm expecting to hear from ladies. Ladies, today is your day. For whatever reason, ladies, women are more clued up on this sort of thing. I think women are more sensitive. I think you're more likely to have had encountered something. Now feel free to ring me up and tell me. Uh, As usual, I'm talking through my keister. You're talking through your keister, Baldy. Women are not more likely. Of course I might be wrong. It's just my impression. Women are more sensitive to everything, to energy. Women are more sensitive, I think. They just are two minutes or thereabouts past the hour. Look, I'll tell you what I'm going to do as regards Palestine, Israel. From now on in, I'm not going to spend... But I'm going to talk to Gerardo Colmont tomorrow night on the programme. I want to get his take on the wider implications of it geopolitically. And I'm looking forward to that tomorrow with Gerard, right? And Ryan Christian is coming on the programme this week as well. But largely, it's carnage in Gaza. It's a terrible thing. I don't think it matters how much I talk about it. Or, or anybody else talks about it. I don't have any grandiose ideas. I don't have any ideas about myself and my reach. I don't think it matters how much it's discussed or not in the independent media. What's happening there is going to continue to happen. It is a terrible thing. I feel compelled to talk about it for a couple of minutes every day because these are real people, these people. And I'm guilty of this as well. Maybe the increase in violent content through the 70s, 80s, 90s and noughties. And this is going to sound very general. And again, feel free to dismiss this out of hand. You know I don't care. I've got sick skin. I'll, I'll read your comments out. It's going to sound like a generalisation. But I think one of the reasons people can't connect with what is happening in Gaza and in Yemen and in every other country in the world, it's not because those are other people from a different background and it's a long way away. Maybe that plays into it in a certain way. But I think we've been desensitised to violence and to murder and to death 
pretty much all of our lives. I really do believe that plays some part in it. We've been desensitised to it. I think people, and they're not bad people, they'll pick up the mail online, excuse me, they'll pick up the Daily Mail or the Sun or the Mirror. They might read The Guardian. And I just don't think it makes an impression on people. And I don't think that's because they're bad people. We've been desensitised to violence. Horror movies used to be so simple. Jason Voorhees chasing around after people. The scares were very benign, really. Woman walks into a room and Jason jumps out of a wardrobe or 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 or, or Voorhees in, in Halloween. Uh, sorry, uh, or Michael Myers in Halloween. But over the years, horror movies and television shows became graphically violent, I think. And maybe that plays into, and maybe it's a good day to talk about that. Maybe it plays into why people are just not that moved by murder because we're surrounded by it and I made a post on Twitter today and I meant it I don't try to score points with anybody I don't give an arse what people think about me I've been a supporter of the rights of the Palestinian people ever since I was old enough to understand what's going on there righteousness is with the people of Gaza no doubt about that but um, I made the point today you know since 2014 you know nearly half a million people have been killed in Yemen do you know that? When you say a number like that out loud, half a million, 400,000 plus, but nobody really knows, that's just mind-boggling, mind-blowing. And while you can have a go at that lunatic, psychotic despot in Jerusalem and his gang of thugs, Netanyahu, remember the likes of Boris Johnson and David Cameron and Tony Blair before them and, and Gordon Brown, they're exactly the same people. You know, it's weaponry sold to the Saudi Arabian government by this nation, by Great Britain, to the tune of 20 plus billion pounds that was rained down on the heads of the men, women and children of Yemen. We live in a basket case society, in a clown world we live in. It really is. And I think people have been desensitised to it. Look, all I wanted to say was um, UNICEF and Save the Children believe a child is being killed every 10 minutes in Gaza. I mean, think about that just for a minute. And this morning, on BBC Radio 5 Live, a presenter spoke to a woman from UNICEF and said, well, these numbers are coming from Hamas, or the Palestinian Authority, which is basically controlled by Hamas. How can we trust those numbers? Now, that's a legitimate question. The answer from the woman from UNICEF was chilling. She said, because we're apolitical and we've been going into Gaza for decades after the Israelis have decided to bomb it. And when we do our own investigations after the violence has stopped, in the months after it all ends, or it seems to end, we do our own investigations, we cross-reference everything, and we find out that the authorities in Gaza are absolutely spot on Every single time, she said. So there's no reason to imagine this time that they're uh, inflating the death numbers. And from what we can see on the ground, it's about right. About 4,000 children have been blown to pieces since October the 7th. She said our gravest fear, uh, sorry, he, this is James Elder from UNICEF. Our gravest fears about the reported numbers of children killed going from dozens to hundreds to thousands have been realised in just a fortnight. They reckon it's three and a half thousand children now at least. 
is that defending yourself? Again, I'm not going to dwell on it today because there's a feeling of helplessness, especially with me and with people who I know who bleed this stuff, you know, who do everything they can in their spare time, year in, year out, to try and raise awareness about what's going on in Gaza. And let me just leave Gaza with this comment here from UNICEF and this guy James Elder. He said that before the current conflict, conflict, right, more than 800,000 children in Gaza, this is pre-October 7th, which is three quarters of the entire child population, were identified as in need of mental health and psychological support. Unbelievable. And in this country, no calls for a ceasefire because it'll help Hamas, and that's every senior politician across the front bench of the government and the front bench of the shadow opposition party, Labour. No, no, we won't call for a ceasefire. No, no, no. And this afternoon it was announced that about 50 people have been killed after an airstrike at the Jabalia or Jabalia refugee camp in northern Gaza. Airstrikes. The Israeli military has been asked for a comment and hasn't yet given any comment, at least not before I came on air. 50 people in a refugee camp, hiding, fleeing the homes that were blown to pieces by the Israeli Air Force. I'm leaving that there now. It's nine and a half minutes past the hour. Okay, and I'm not having a go at anybody when I say desensitised. It's just a point. Maybe it's something we can flesh out, we can extrapolate and talk about. Not today, because we're going to talk spooky things a bit later on. Um, But we can talk about it over time. Why is it that we're not moved by these things anymore? You know, emotionally moved or shocked or horrified by the things we hear. And we talked before about this breed of dog, American Bully XL. Well, after a lot of speculation, the UK government announced today that XL bullies will be added to the list of banned dogs in England and in Wales. It'll be illegal to own one without an exemption from February 1st next year. Now, from January, XL bullies will also have to be muzzled and on a lead in public. There will be a deadline, a longer deadline, for owners to ensure the dogs are neutered. According to the BBC, this is following on from a number of attacks involving the breed, although owners insist that the dogs, despite their appearance, make lovable pets. And a number of you have been in touch with me, and I think you've got a very good point to say that this is a story, Richie, that seems to just be a big fart of a story. You know, a big non-story to distract, again, away from other things going on which are more important. And I think you might have a point. In fact, amazingly, I came out of my local laundrette today. Hello, Baz. Hello, Tracy. And I bumped into Jess, who's a young woman who's got a young female XL bully that she was out walking. She was returning back to her apartment with the dog. And the dog looked to be lovely and friendly. It looks scary now, but also lovely and friendly, if that isn't a contradiction. Anyway, yeah. So the XL bully is going to be banned. And they'll eventually weed it out by neutering them. A Little Britain sketch has been deemed explicitly racist and outdated by Ofcom. Viewers are surprised it is still available to watch on BBC iPlayer. This is mad stuff, this. Ofcom showed people a number of clips of Little Britain as part of a study into views on potentially offensive content. The sketch, first shown in 2002, features David Walliams playing a character 
using racist terms to describe an Asian character. Ofcom said participants in the research felt that society had moved on. There's no sense of humour. Sense of humour has disappeared out of the UK. Society had moved on in 2002 when that sketch first aired, by the way. Little Britain itself was a programme that lampooned outdated stereotypes. Holy Mary, Mother of God, how could that be lost? Think about it. I remember Little Britain and the two women, the two white middle-aged women doing the tasting at the, you know, at the fairgrounds, when, at, at, at the, bake, the bakery competition. And they would taste something and then taste something. And when they realised that the cake they'd just bitten into had been, had been baked by some ethnic minority, they would get sick. It was, par- it was satire. And it was obviously a show that was taking the piss out of outdated attitudes. But now, of course, you're going to be seeing more and more warnings. Again, the infantilization of society. Warnings about you might be triggered, you might be upset, you might be sensitive by what you might see in this program. My God. Oh, Jesus. Oh, some of the people watching it told Ofcom, well, society has moved on. Yeah, but that was made 21 years ago. And society had moved on then too. Anyway, the COVID inquiry. This is unbelievable. Dominic Cummings, chief advisor to Boris Johnson, or he was when Johnson was prime minister. Um, Dominic Cummings is a pathological liar. You've got to keep this in mind because Cummings has been, has been giving evidence to the COVID inquiry today to a guy called Hugo Keith KC and Cummings has been accusing lots of people of lying but Cummings is the guy who says that he did a 180-mile round trip in a car during lockdown to test his fucking eyesight. Now, you don't get to call people liars when you say, why did you break the COVID guidelines, Dominic, and drive all those miles to Barnard Castle? Well, I, I wanted to check if my eyesight was okay, so I thought I'd have a drive. You don't get to be considered as a reliable witness. But anyway... He's considered to be somewhat of a reliable witness. He's been given testimony all day. He said the prevailing view at the start of the pandemic was that there was no way nationwide restrictions could be introduced in Britain. Back in January, February 2020, he said that lockdown or a national one was considered as a completely crazy idea. This is what he said today. Okay, He said strict border controls on travel from China and the rapid expansion of test and trace as soon as the virus was identified could have had a much better outcome than lockdown. Questioned on why test and trace, the NHS scheme designed to track the spread of COVID, wasn't discussed sooner, Cummings said, quote, the whole system fatalistically thought there was no way you could do a lockdown in Britain. It was thought of as a completely crazy idea. I wonder what changed, dear listener. I'd like you to listen to a couple of bizarre exchanges. If you have youngsters who shouldn't be hearing bad language, you've got six and a half seconds now to turn down your device for about two minutes. All right? Because there's some very strong language coming up. The first voice you will hear is Hugo Keith KC addressing Dominic Cummings, the former chief advisor to Boris Johnson. Due in large part to your own WhatsApps, Mr Cummings, we're going to have to coarsen our language somewhat. I apologise. 
You called ministers useless fuckpigs. Useless fuckpigs. Morons. Morons. Cunts. In emails and WhatsApps to your professional colleagues. Do you think you contributed to a lack of effectiveness on the part of ministers? <laughs> By calling them fuckpigs, useless fuckpigs, and the other language you used, does that in some way impede their ability to do what it is they were there to do, Dominic? And of the Cabinet? No, I think I was reflecting a widespread view uh, amongst uh, competent people at the centre <laughs> of power at the time about the calibre of a lot of senior people who were dealing with this crisis extremely badly. I love the way he says he was refre- reflecting a genuine view, the view of competent people, identifying himself, of course, as competent Dominic Cummings. You only need to look at Cummings to realise he's not competent. There's a little more here, again from Hugo Keith KC. You're happy to have... Useless fuck. Oh yeah, this this is a, a a WhatsApp message sent by Cummings to Johnson. There's a reason I'm playing this, I'll tell you in a minute. Here's the wording of a WhatsApp message sent to Johnson from Cummings, and it's kind of amusing. You're happy to have useless fuck pigs in charge. You're happy to have useless fuck pigs in charge. He's addressing Johnson now. Presumably he means Matt Hancock. They think that a vast amount of the chaotic news on the front pages is coming from number 10. When in fact it's coming from the cabinet who are feral. Feral, feral. And so on. And then in the last paragraph, I also must stress, I think, leaving Hancock in post is a big mistake. He's a proven liar who nobody believes or should believe on anything. And we face going into autumn crisis with the cunt still in charge of the NHS still. Therefore we'll be back around that cabinet table with him and Stevens bullshitting again in September. I have a theory. Please feel free to destroy my theory, because it is probably crap, right? But more and more people, I think, are alive to the possibility, anyway, that their elected officials are not really in charge, and that they're puppets for others, more secretive, shadowy figures, who are really running things. And I think more people are aware of the Great Reset, which we've talked much about these last three years, Agenda 2030, which, of course... None of those agendas are the brainchild of Boris Johnson or Hancock or Cummings. So if more people are alive to the fact that there is a shadowy government or a shadowy elite planning to take humanity down a totalitarian path, this goes some way to countering that. Because I would imagine conversations are going on all over the UK now where somebody who doesn't believe there is an agenda for humanity, is telling the conspiracy theorists, look, I told you all along, these really are the people in charge. And I told you all along that they really are as thick as mints. Just listen to these exchanges. These are the fools that are in charge. And the reason why it's all messed up, you crazy conspiracy theorists, is because these gombeans, these cretins were in charge. Do you get what I'm saying, dear listener? That's how it'll be spun. Look at this. Look at this, Boris Johnson, Dominic Cummings. Sure, of course they were in charge. They're just stupid. Read the text messages. That's how it's going to be spun, in my humble opinion. I'll give you a quick laugh. Here's how LBC Radio's James O'Brien, this is his take on the whole Boris Johnson revelations. The revelations that Boris Johnson was a bit sick and didn't know what he was doing at the beginning of the pandemic. James O'Brien, listen. I honestly can't quite believe the, the clarity and the certainty 
with which his closest colleagues described his awfulness, when those of us who were pointing it out at the time were so bloody lonely. Lonely. He was lonely at the time, back in 2020, pointing out that Boris Johnson was a bit of an idiot. We were so lonely. You know? And I don't mean me, I mean you. I mean anybody who was properly paying attention and hadn't been somehow blinded or intoxicated by Boris Johnson's variety hall end-of-peer act or hadn't had their brains boiled by Brexit. And that's another thing that's emerged this morning. They were so obsessed with Brexit that they didn't pay attention to the pandemic. I mean, And, of course, he gets rewarded now. He doesn't get punished. He doesn't get penalised. The inquiry has no meaningful sanction. Yeah, he's got a job on GB News and he's also got a new column in the mail. He's doing all right, Bojo. Paul Dacre at the Daily Man and Viscount Rothermere, they've already given him several hundred thousand pounds to write bilge every Saturday. And now a bloke called Paul Marshall at GB News, who's trying to buy the Daily Telegraph, has apparently hired him to present television programmes. This is the only country in the world where senior politicians get rewarded for failure. That's not true. There's loads of other countries. We used Why did you say that? We used to call them banana republics. Nadine Dorries has got another a column in the mail, a TV show somewhere. How does that work? How do these people sit around their boardroom tables and say, well, Boris Johnson killed a hell of a lot of Brits, let's give him a newspaper column? Yeah, no sense of irony whatsoever. Of course, if he had, if he had done his job, him and others, and actually challenged it instead of going along with it, don't ever forget, dear listener, that what O'Brien has just said there is complete and utter bollocks. Right, Johnson is in the mail... Uh, online offices or the Daily Mail offices and he's now getting well paid to front a programme for GB News because rather than challenge the legitimacy of locking down the nation and the legality of it and the sanity of it, O'Brien went along with it and others and demanded that it be done harder and faster. Don't ever let them forget that. When he's whinging about Boris Johnson and his hatred for him is visceral, right? Don't ever miss an opportunity to tweet him back and say, but none of this would have happened if you'd done your job and facilitated interview slots for the many, 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 many men of women, sorry, the many men and women of academia who said that the COVID virus was nothing really to worry about and lockdowns were tragic. But you didn't do that. Let's stay with the, with the, the hearing, the COVID inquiry. Here's a guy called G.P. Taylor. He is a writer, a newspaper columnist and broadcaster. He was on Jeremy Vine earlier today, Channel 5. Channel 5 he was on. Jeremy Vine, Graham Taylor, G.P. he's known as. So it's a bit pretentious that, isn't it? I was once lectured by C.P. Lee. Lovely fellow, he's dead now. C.P. Lee, Salford University. I always thought it was a bit up your own arse, that. C.P. Lee. Like you walk towards somebody, you extend your right hand. Hi, C.P. Lee. Your name is Chris, dickhead. Why don't you just say Chris? Anyway, right. Uh, G.P. Taylor, or Graham, on Jeremy Vine today. Uh, I love the language he uses, and you don't often hear this on the mainstream media. Lockdowns certainly had um, an impact on my mental and physical health and that of my family. And um, if I could have my time over again, 
I would not comply to that PSYOP. I would not comply at all. I would PSYOP, eh? I'd just carry on as normal. Gosh, well, that is so interesting because Jeremy Vine nearly shits himself when he says PSYOP. He doesn't know what to do, right? Gosh! As Boris Johnson apparently said, and this has come out in the inquiry, why are we destroying the economy for people who will die soon anyway? Now, what do you think of that, Greg? Because he's referring there mainly to people who are over 85. I think that the scientists knew that this virus would only affect the elderly in this country. I am health compromised, so it would have affected me, but uh, I would have taken my chances. You know, I would have taken the vitamin D and everything else, the uh, neconase and everything that's there, the ivermectin, and I would have taken my chances. And we shouldn't have locked down. We should have just carried on. We shouldn't have crippled our economy. We shouldn't have imprisoned children in their homes and damaged their education. I, I've seen some of the damage that's happened to kids. I was with some parents yesterday on the beach at Filey, and they were talking about, you know, what had gone on during lockdown. And then they get back to school, and the school they're in has got rack. So they're back out of school again and into, mm. you know, homeschooling situation. Yep. It's, it was a terrible time. Terrible time indeed. GP Taylor speaking to Jeremy Vine on Channel 5 earlier today. This is the Richie Allen Show. In about six or seven minutes' time, I'll be taking your calls. Now, if you go to richieallen.co.uk, the latest article contains the contact details. You can send me a WhatsApp message if you like. The WhatsApp number, I'm reading it out now, but it's on the website, is 075 659 4220. 075 659 4220. It's plus 4475 659 4270. That is the WhatsApp number, but you can also Skype or uh, call a landline number if you'd like to get through to me too. It's this one. It's your call. Skype. Chat with Richie. Or call 0161 818 2018. If you're calling from overseas, it's plus 44161 818 2018. Talk to Richie now. Yeah, and Carol will kick it all off for us now in a few minutes' time. I'm looking forward to speaking with Carol. We've got Dee, who's gotten in early. How are you, Dee, if you're listening? So I want genuine stuff now. Things that happened over the years that you thought, yeah. Yeah, that was unsettling. That was weird. I was listening to a BBC podcast the other day. I think it might be called Uncanny. It's just a podcast. And the guy who presents it is a nice guy, but I can't think of his name. And he was pretty agnostic about the paranormal and about ghosts and about spirits, right? And poltergeist. He was very agnostic. But one particular case covered by him really spooked him. And it was one, it's about a student house. And it's somewhere down south. It's a student house where awful things were going on in the night time, in the small hours of the morning. Bangings and knockings and noises and stuff like that. And when he investigated it further, he was able to find out, absolutely verify now, that everybody who had stayed in that particular... Sorry, everybody who had stayed or resided in that particular house had experienced this. And there was a long list of, and it could be dated, evidence um, where people came forward and said there's some crazy things going on in this particular house I would rather move and this was going on for years I'm really interested in this stuff so we'll get into it in a few minutes time you are reaching out to me already I'm proud of you I love it, it looks like we've got three, four, five, six calls already in the system I've given you the contact details what did I want to tell you before we moved on and we took the calls and I took a tune 
it was nothing too serious, was it? Yeah, there was a story in the Telegraph today. Tory interns told to undergo privilege walks to show advantages of white middle class. And the BBC is said to have used similar diversity training. Right, so what is a privilege walk? This is hilarious, right? It's an exercise. It's known as a... Diver- it's, it's a walk also known as a, as a diversity test, and it quizzes employees on their race, gender, sexuality and disability to help staff identify whether they are more fortunate than their colleagues. Oh my God. What difference does it make? The exercise, which has been known to take place outside the Margaret Thatcher boardroom at the Conservative campaign headquarters in London, is run as part of a workshop led by the charity... Patchwork Foundation. Wait for this. Participants who took part in the exercise in 2021 and last year said they were asked to line up before a series of questions and statements were read out. If they answered yes to any particular question, they had to take a step forward. The person who travelled the furthest during the test at the end of it would be deemed to be the most privileged. Yeah, I want you all to line up there now. I've got some questions for you. If you answer yes, step forward. And at the end of it, the one who's closest to me will be deemed to be the most privileged. It's kind of mad. Phone details again. You've got the WhatsApp details. Here are the phone details before I take a tune. It's your call. Skype. Chat with Richie. Or call 0161 818 2018. If you're calling from overseas, it's plus 44 161 818 2018. Talk to Richie now. And I'm Richie Allen, the BBG. How are you? It's great to be with you. Tuesday's programme. Happy Halloween. Taking your calls now in two minutes. Yeah, that is music from Billy Ocean and Love Really Hearts Without You. 28 minutes it is to the top of the hour. It's Halloween. I went to the local supermarket this morning and I bought loads of sweeties for the missus because we're lucky enough around here. There are lots of little ones, which is lovely. It's a young neighbourhood, so there's lots of boys and girls. And last year, quite a few of them turned up. So I went down to the supermarket this morning. The old grumpy BBG. He says, referring to himself in the third person, I bought some, I bought some Haribo mixed sweets, lots of them, and some um, celebrations. And I hope the children absolutely terrorise the frog between now and and God knows when. Listen, let's welcome Carol to the program. Hello, Carol. How are you? Hello. Yes, I'm fine, thank you. How are you? I'm absolutely grand, to be honest. I'm all the better now for chatting with you. Thanks for being the first up, the first in. It's good to chat with you. That's well, okay. I'm a bit nervous, I'll warn you. you. Listen, you can't be nervous. We know each other. We talk to each other every day. Will you give over? Tell me this, right? Um, what does Halloween, before we hear your story, which is fascinating, what does Halloween yeah. mean to you? Would you? Have you memories of getting dressed up and going out and knocking on doors? No. 
No, I, I'm 65. When I was young, Halloween wasn't the big thing that it is today. So I don't have any memories of that. But obviously, my children did partake and so did my grandchildren. That's interesting, Carol, because I was yeah. listening to a few radio stations this morning and some of the contributors were, were giving out about Halloween. They were saying, we've got too many bloody American traditions as it is in this country. Yeah. You know, so we don't need I, any... I did notice it. I did notice it over the years how uh, we were kind of copying the Americans with certain traditions. Yeah. And Every... Halloween is one of them. But anyway, yeah, no, good. I well, suppose the... it's all good fun, isn't it? It's all good fun. I liked, I liked it when I was a kid. So r- roughly whereabouts in the country are you this evening? Uh, I'm living in Shrewsbury. I'm, a, I'm ashamed of my life. Oh, thank God you said Shropshire. Yeah, of course. That's where it is. Thanks, yeah. Carol, for saving my blushes. Now, um, in your own time, tell us the story that you sent me over WhatsApp today because okay. it's fascinating. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, it was about 15 years ago. Um, me and my son, we wanted to swap bedrooms. Mark, he was about 13 at the time, 12, 13. And uh, he's always he's always been uh, able uh, to um, see things and feel things in uh, a paranormal way or whatever. Um, he'd always he'd never um, he'd always talk about it in a like a matter of fact way, like it was nothing to him. It was just normal. And uh, when he was in his uh, bedroom, he he sensed something was there, but he felt safe with it. And um, anyway, uh, that wasn't the reason for swapping, but I decided to swap with him. And um, the first night that I slept in that room, I was awoken by footsteps coming along the corridor, which stopped right outside my bedroom door. And I thought it was Mark uh, a bit disorientated and maybe he was going to come in any minute, but he didn't. I just lay in bed and nothing happened. And it spooked me. <laughs> Were you terrified? Did, and um, did, did you... at the same time, I needed the loo. And I was lying there afraid to get out <laughs> oh, no. of bed and open the door. But eventually I did. Um, I plucked up the courage, opened the door, and there was nothing there. So uh, I walked along the corridor to his bedroom, opened the door, and there he was, tucked up in bed, fast asleep. He wasn't in the um, loo. He wasn't. He wasn't wandering the corridors. No, so whoever no. made the footsteps, it wasn't Mark. No, I just heard the footsteps. They stopped outside my door, and I heard nothing else after that. It was just as if somebody was standing outside my bedroom door. Anyway, uh, I'll just say in the corridor I left uh, is where I used to leave my empty suitcase. And it was just outside Mark's old bedroom door that I was now in. And I had a habit of every time I walked past to go into his room, I used to lift the handle of the suitcase and it would just snap back down. Just a silly habit. So anyway, I went into the bathroom, closed the door, sat on the loo, and I was thinking about the footsteps, you know, but spooked by it all, sitting there. And then all of a sudden I heard the handle of the suitcase snap being picked up and snapped back down. I heard it as clear as day and there was nobody in the hall. I didn't hear anyone in the hall and that really spooked me. Yeah. And I sat there for what seemed like hours. Hilarious. So and it took eventually you... I went back into my room. It really did spook me. I can't explain that at all. Yeah, it would have scared the hell out of me too. So you, you, waited, ages, yeah. you, you waited ages to go to the loo after the footsteps. Then you get to yeah. the loo and then you hear this and you have to wait. Now, yeah. now you said that Mark 
was aware of this presence, but Mark was no way put out by it, Carol. He was, he thought it was a benevolent presence. Uh, it, it was something that never bothered him. It never bothered him, yeah. No. Um, like I said, he just used to, he, he didn't used to uh, make a song and dance about it. He used to speak about uh, the fact that he could see and feel things in a most natural way. Uh, I remember once uh, after my granny died, it was quite a while after my granny died, we went round um, to visit my uncle Jeff, who used to live with his mum, my granny. And uh, on the way home from there, after having a cup of tea and cake and that, um, Mark said to me, who was that lady sitting in the corner? And I said, what lady? And he said, there was an old lady with a bun on top of her head. Well, my granny used to plait her hair and make a bun with it on top of her head. Give and over. I said, maybe that was my granny. He said, well, she was definitely sitting there. And he said it in just a normal manner. Matter of fact. Matter of fact yeah. way. Yeah. Who's the lady with the bun? And what? why is yeah. that then? Are, are some people like Mark then, are they just more sensitive to the energies around us? That must be the explanation. I think when, when they're young, a lot of people are. I think a lot of people are because I had a little bit of it when I was when I was a child, um, and I think just with schooling and life, it's bred out of you. Uh, I don't. It doesn't affect him anymore now. He doesn't. Uh, he's intuitive. I'm intuitive. Uh, he's never lost that. But um, but also, I'm a great believer in synchronicities because another thing happened after my dad died. A couple of years before he died, he bought me a pair of earrings and unfortunately I lost one of them. And I tipped out my jewellery box several times on my bed to look for this earring and, and it was never there. It was never there. So I just thought, well, it's gone. Anyway, after he died, I was getting ready for the funeral to travel down south, getting all my bits together. And um, I said, I said to myself, I wish I had that earring so I could wear them at his funeral. So I tipped out the jewellery box one more time and I found it there. But I realised where it came from. There was um, a split in the lining between the lining and the box. And there was a few bits and pieces there. And I reckon it came from there. But it was the timing of it. It was almost as if my dad gave it a nudge. Gave it a nudge, Carol. Is hearing Carol, and I could, and then I walked into his funeral. That was astounding. That is astounding. Yeah, that's absolutely yeah. astounding. And and yeah. as for, I mean, it is. And I've heard one or two stories like this since begin, since I began doing this program. And like, it, it, yeah. it's blown me away. I mean, why would anybody make something like that up? I mean, it's obviously happened. Now, as far as the knocking and the footsteps, was that a one-off thing that particular evening, or did it happen again? No, it didn't happen after that. But I wouldn't sleep in that room without the lamp on. It was just that first night. It was almost as if whatever it was was saying, you know, where, where's where's Mark? <laughs> yeah. Now you're in his room. It was, it was just a really odd experience. Very odd. Maybe it was your dad, maybe. Maybe your dad pops in from time to time to... I don't keep know. Eye. I really don't know. But I do believe there's something else. There's another realm, whatever you want to call it. I do believe there's something else. There must be, Carol. I was doing the music yeah. show on Sunday and Gail, um, who listens in, she's in Devon, in the Cornwall area. She says that every now yeah. and then, she see, when she's cleaning a mirror, looking at a mirror, she'll see her yeah. mum behind her, just briefly. 
And um, Gail yeah, is not psychotic, yeah, we know sweet. that. Yeah, so I'm, I'm wide open to the possibility that loved ones might be able to pop in every now and then. Maybe it's a limited thing for them, maybe. I don't want to be, I don't want to sound like I'm being silly now. Maybe, I mean, we don't know what yeah. the rules are on the other side, maybe, you know? Maybe it's a limited I know, thing. This yeah. is it. Yeah, wow, Carol, what I a great start. People should be open to it. You know, synchronicities especially have a, a special meaning. I think some people, um, they experience something, they just think, oh, it's just a silly thought. But no, take notice of it. That happened for a reason, like the earring at that particular time popping out of the uh, the lining of the jewellery box. It was, uh, that was... Uh, that was amazing, amazing as well that was. Yeah. And, and this, I'm looking forward to hearing all the other stories. I'm going to take Donna in now. What a fantastic start. Yeah. And I can't believe you are talking about being nervous. You could be a broadcaster. Brilliant stuff, Carol. Oh, well, uh, just before you go, thank you for everything we do. you do. We all love you, Richie. Thank you. Oh, you're very kind. Thanks for saying so. And brilliant story. And give Mark a regards as well. Wonderful. Thanks, Carol. I will do. Brilliant stuff. Thanks. Thank you, Carol. Great story there, Carol in Shropshire. I know we're going to get lots of similar. I can't wait to hear more of them. Uh, Donna was in early as well. Hello, Donna. Hi, Richie. Can you hear me? Loud and clear. God, it's been a long, long time. I can hear you loud and clear like a bell, like you're next door to me. Um, yeah. Welcome back, by the way. How are you? Doing good. I'm here with the boys. They're doing some of their schoolwork. Can you guys say hi? Hello, guys. Hi. It's a bit of, it's, it, have they just finished school or are they about to leave for school? What's going on there? Homeschooled. Of course they are. So they're homeschooled. They're... Of course they are. What's wrong with me? And will will they be going trick or treating later on? Oh, yeah. I think they're a little shy right now. They don't want to say anything. That's okay. <laughs> I, I don't mind that. Well, look, you heard Carol. That was some start. Donna, what, what have you got to tell us? What Give us an encounter that'll blow our minds. Okay, I got it for you. You guys probably all remember that after the 2016 election, Hillary Clinton kind of disappeared from the scene for a couple years, right? Yeah. And then all of a sudden she comes back on the scene as if like to, you know, pop out of nowhere. Well, I can tell you what happened to Hillary Clinton. Here's the story. My husband and I bought a house in South Anchorage in 2018. It needs a lot of work. So we got started on this big foundation project in 2019. And since I'm the small one in the family, I'm the one that had to do all the work that was happening on the inside of the crawl space. The only problem with me being in there is that damn clown. Which clown? The one in my crawl space, of course. You're having a I laugh mean, he's, now. He's such a stinking pest, you know? Like, you're sitting alone in your house, and he's standing behind you. <laughs> or, like, you watch a scary movie, and, and then you go to the bathroom, and the freaking clown follows you in. I mean, for pity's sake, if he could just stay in the crawl space and do his job, what the hell are we paying him for? <laughs> <laughs> you had me. For a minute, I'm thinking Stephen King and I'm thinking <laughs> it. I'm thinking it. I'm thinking Pennywise. No. See who he is. So, so I go in there and I see his red beady eyes glowing out of the darkness in the back of the crawl space. And I said, listen, clown, we're going to have to get comfortable with each other because I got to spend some time down in here. And he says, listen, 
I would probably stick around down here, but there's a little bit of a problem. I said, what is it? He said, frickin' Hillary Clinton is in here. She's scaring the P-Lottons out of me. So I made a deal with the clown. I told him if I would kick her out, would he please just stay in the down crawl space? And he said, yeah. Hasn't been a problem ever since. Hasn't been a Hillary, problem. however, she's back. Sorry to say it, everybody. And that's the story. Now, how much of this do I take to have actually happened? And how much of this is the fertile imagination of Donna in Alaska? <laughs> well, actually, this whole thing about the clown in the crawl space started because at one point when my kids were little, I actually, like, very foolishly got on the internet to show them that clowns are not scary. <laughs> Right, and when you go online and you look at clowns, they're generally terrifying, aren't they? And all the pictures of clowns in that particular Google search were like pictures of Pennywise. Yeah, yeah. So my kids, they they are not afraid of stuff like this, right, boys? And so, and I'm like, guys, this is this is terrible. We can't look at this stuff. These are scary pictures. And they're like, are you scared of the clown? And it turned into this big thing. So, yeah, I mean, sometimes I go down there and I'm like, damn it, clown. <laughs> you better leave me alone this time. I mean, it, to me, it sounds like imagination. I mean, it sounds like that there's there's something going on. There. That's your imagina- imagination working overtime, I I would suggest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I think you're taking this too seriously. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm No, you're not- taking the piss out of me. I know that. But at the same time, clowns are pretty terrifying. <laughs> and I have heard from people over the years who, because they were scared of clowns when they were younger, imagined at various times in their lives when they were a bit stressed, imagined that there was a clown or that they were in the presence of a clown. That's an amazing... I think it all goes... It goes back to the circus, doesn't it? Because I never found clowns funny when I went to the circus. I always found them creepy. Always. Never found them funny at all. You know, they're kind of Marx Brothers routines that clowns go through. I always found them creepy and kind of disgusting, really, to be honest. So I have no time for them. But before I take another call, uh, Donna in Alaska, has there been a genuine, have you had a genuine experience? Did you ever feel not, like a no, relative? Not no, not personally. No? I'm not so sure that my antennas are tuned to that. But I yeah. definitely believe in that kind of thing. And I know other people who, you know, say that they have, like my great-grandmother, when her husband passed away in the 70s, she was. She swore till her dying day that he sat up in his casket and winked at her. No one else saw it during the open casket viewing. There's another nice. person I know uh, here in town um, who had a very, very poor relationship with his mother, believe it or not. And she passed away last year. And it was kind of a, well, no, it must have been a little longer ago than last year. And it was kind of a like a disaster for the whole family because it was in the midst of COVID. It wasn't last year. It was a couple of years ago. Um, and people were making choices like, should we travel to her or should we not travel to her? Because the nursing home wasn't necessarily going to let them in. You know what I mean? And those kinds of things are terrible, you know, and it just causes so much anxiety and and pain and regret and sadness on top of everything. Right. Well, he swears that after she passed away, which he did not travel to see her, um, that she came to him and kind of just made him feel better about it and told him everything was going to be okay. And it it was after that. So, you know, 
I don't I don't reject those things. We're no, practicing me, no, Catholics. We'll go to we'll go to you know All Saints Mass tomorrow and and All Souls celebrate All Souls in November and all that good stuff, you know. But no, you know, I'm I'm might be a little bit too pragmatic for your average real encounter. But I did have like I just have the most wild imagination, probably. Like I remember just having the pee wadden scared out of me by things like, like okay, like uh, I think I was about six when Chucky came out, right. and there was the Chucky poster with like a, you know, a jack, a like a Jack in the Box. Yeah, I'm right? a good bit older than you then because I went to see the first one in the cinema. Believe it or not, I was old enough to get in. I saw that poster in the video store, and I, when I was about six, and I couldn't get that image out of my head. It just scared me forever and ever. And you then couldn't there was look another at it movie again. in the eighties, and I don't know the name of it. And it's really funny to reflect on now because people look at me like I'm crazy or something. But there was a horror movie about these monsters that would pop out of the toilet. Do you remember those posters? Yeah, critters. I think. It might have been critters okay. or ghoulies. It might have been ghoulies, actually. Yeah. I think you. I think you might be right on that. And I, and I'm telling you, Richie, I don't think I flushed the toilet again. Ever for like again. Three years. Well, just before <laughs> before I take my next call, um, I have an aunt who saw Jaws when she was eleven or twelve, and had to use a bucket for number one for several weeks afterwards. Would not go to the toilet. That's a true story. It was so jaws, yeah. That's that's how active the imagination of children. An eleven year old kid with a child's imagination imagined that a great white shark, which must you know, must weigh two ton and is thirty feet long, could come up through a toilet and attack her. So she wouldn't go anywhere near the <laughs> toilet. And and had to make wee wee in a bucket for for a considerable time after that. Donna, it's been brilliant catching up with you. Enjoy trick or treating with the guys. Much, Richie. You do the same. Brilliant. Thanks a lot. Well, I wish I could. That's Donna there in Alaska. I won't be doing any uh, trick or treating. Uh, Cass reached out to us. We've got Cass on the line. The time is eight and a half minutes to the top of the hour. I am aware lots of people are trying to get through. I'm aware of it. So what we'll do is we'll we'll, we'll try and move things on as quickly as we can without rushing anybody because there's some great stories coming through. You're with the Richie Allen Show, Tuesday, the 31st of October, 2023. Hello, Cass. How are you? Hi, I'm I'm all right. Nice to chat with you. Where are you? I'm in Southeast London, Kent border. And well, you sound it too, Cass. You sound it. You sound like you're in Southeast London, <laughs> which is a great accent. I'm, I'm laughing because accents are in the news today. Funnily enough, there are three new accents apparently that have just been uh, identified. Anyway, Cass, all shut up. You've got a very interesting story. Let us have it. What's happening? Well, it was about ten, eleven years ago. Um, I woke up on a Thursday morning and at this point I was at college and I was working in a bar. So me seeing my mum, because it was only me and my mum at the time, um, my dad had passed away when I was 20. So that's uh, about 18 years ago now. And um, we, we, uh, we were living in Essex at the time. And I woke up on a Thursday morning I told my mum about this really weird dream I'd had literally just before I woke up. Um, it was like, it was me and my dad and this guy that was like his secretary, which was weird because my dad didn't have a secretary. He was a self-employed jack-of-all-trades kind of guy. And um, we were talking and my dad was trying to drill it home to me 
that I was not biologically his daughter. I'm like, but dad, you're not, you're not making sense. And he went, I am not your real father. And I, and that basically it was the gist of the dream was the conversation repeated a bit. And I looked at this guy that was his secretary and he, he looked at me and he nodded and he goes, it's all true. So I woke up, I've told my mum about this. She didn't say an absolute word. She went completely quiet on me. And um, so I've done my go to work, go to college, all of that, come home. And I don't think I actually got to sit down with her again until Saturday morning. And she asked me about the dream. Sorry, no, Friday night. And she asked me about the dream and asked me to tell her about it all again. And, uh, and then she went, well, it's true. I'm like, sorry, what? And she said, it's true. Um, and I'm thinking, you can't tell me you had an affair. And she went, no, it wasn't an affair. But apparently my dad, my mum and my dad kept this secret and he took it to his grave that they had to have me via a donor because he was actually infertile and unable to have children. And I was like, oh my God, how, how come you never told me this before? And she actually pulled up the information of the doctor who'd done her cons consults and stuff and who they went through the treatment with. And uh, yeah, they went through all of that. And I found out what hospital he was working at, which has changed. I think it was, might have been University London College Hospital. It had changed. I can't remember what it was back then because this was in 84 that they went through all the treatment. And um, I actually managed to get a hold of the doctor. Um, he's since retired. And I said, I understand you're in retirement. So if you would, if you don't want to deal with my questions, can you give me the numbers of someone else so I can pester about it? But he was really good and he got back to me. And uh, yeah, I found out what, as much information as I could because unfortunately it's only been since 80, no, 86, nine, 1990, I think, is where it's all been put straight, all the records and everything. Before that, it's very hit and miss as to what details that you'll get. And uh yeah, all of that came from my dad reaching out via a dream, which is all I thought it was at one point. And uh, it turned out it was actually a message from beyond the grave. Because nothing, <laughs> no, uh, nothing is going to beat this. I mean, this is absolutely amazing. What did mum think? I mean, your mum must have been absolutely shocked for you to say, Dad's spoken to me in a dream and he says that he's not my biological dad. I mean, how did your mum react to, to that? Did she believe you or did she think that you'd gone and done some investigation yourself? Well, initially she, she didn't actually say a word. She was just like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. And it wasn't until, I say, the Friday night that she asked me about it and I went through it in detail and that was when she really spoke to me about it and asked the questions that she had probably pondered since I first mentioned it. And um, she seemed very sort of, once once I told all the details about the dream and everything, she then sat there and she nodded her head and she got up and that's when she picked up, went and fished out all the details regarding the doctor that had done all the treatment. Oh, and uh, she went, it's, it's true. And this is all I've got regarding the information. How, I was like, and how did you process what? this, Cass? 
how does anybody process having a dream as vivid as that and then you you wake up you remember it and then it turns out to be true i mean you you now know something that people speculate about for since 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 people walked on planet earth you know that there is something else beyond this um, world how does that make you feel when you think about it well when i when i first thought about it it was i was happy because i missed my dad and i got to have what felt like as much as i thought it was a dream it was such a real and vivid conversation it was it was nice to see him again from talking to my mum regarding the information as it came out because it was over a weekend i was so angry that i hadn't been told sooner yeah because i now only had my mum that i could talk to rather than both my parents and uh yeah in, in the respect of the information coming to light i was angry it took me the best part of about a week to really go through all the emotions to process and talk to my mum again. <laughs> yeah, you were blaming mum. I was mom, so yeah. angry, I couldn't talk to her. But tell me this, Cass, why, if you could put yourself in the shoes of your, your late father, why do you think he would have thought it important that you know that? I don't know. Good I question, isn't it? Yeah. I wonder, was he I tormented mean, about it? or Because he didn't need to be. I mean, if he had fertility issues, which many men do, there's nothing to be ashamed of that. And if you need to use uh, a donor, well, well, look look at what came out of it. You came out of it. Fantastic. And, and you loved your dad. So, yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Why he would have felt the need to tell you. Yeah, I'd love to know that. I, I, I said to my mum about it, and she was like, I don't know. Well, I don't... She never really said why it was a secret, but it was a secret that they kept and he took it to his grave. Apparently at the time and for all of their lives, my grandparents, I only never obviously ever knew my grandparents on my maternal side um, and they never knew either. It was literally just my mum and dad that knew. And I won't, I don't know why, but all I can take, what I take from it is I know I was 100% truly wanted. They tried uh, two or three times after and it didn't take. So I was literally the only one that they got. And I know I was really truly wanted. And that's what I, when I processed all the anger I had with my mum through that week after, it's what I took from it was that I was truly wanted and lucky to be here. Yeah, absolutely. And how is the relationship with your mum now? I presume it's brilliant. It's good. We do clash like mother and daughters do, but it's good. We're no I'm not angry at her anymore. No, of course not. <laughs> I, I don't estrange her at all. We're actually going to visit her um not this Saturday, next Saturday. Lovely. And tell me this, obviously I've got to ask, did your dad come back in a dream? Have you dreamt about him since then? Unfortunately, I haven't seen him since, and I am a bit gutted, but it's a case of if it's really important, I have to know. I know that he will come through. It's a beautiful story, Cass. I've, I've been married to my husband now for just over seven years, and since I've been with my husband, I've not felt my dad near me, but my mum has, and I think that my dad is happy with who I am setting my life up with that he doesn't have to worry about me he's going to keep an eye on my mum you've got a good man 
You've got a good man there. I have indeed. And, and maybe dad he's is actually downstairs with. listening to this. Oh, he's listening in, <laughs> is he? What's your, your husband's name? His name's Danny. How are you doing, Danny? Hope all is well. You got a good one there, son. I tell you that. You got a good one there. <laughs> Cass, that's an amazingly beautiful story. It really is. And um, nobody makes up something like that. It obviously happened. And therefore, it tells me that there is something. There's something going on. There is another realm there. And... Uh, what a beautiful thing. And, and one thing I did want to ask you before I take another call. Um, did you have a similar, any other similar types of experience, not with your dad, but are you especially sensitive to en- energy and things like that? Every so often I see a shadow of something. I can't quite make out what the shadow is. I know I see like a black shadow kind of thing. Sometimes just flick past just in my peripheral vision and it's kind of the extent of it for me I'm afraid but there might be something to that I I used to find years ago of an evening when I would be out walking and I'm not sensitive to anything I've never seen anything but street lights would turn off as I walked past them and this happened so often and it was noticed by friends of mine that we used to play a game just to confirm that the street light wasn't broken or flickery we would wait a while it would come back on and stay on and then I would walk past it again and it would go off. But it wouldn't happen for my friends. And they just thought it was crazy. And then somebody said I, there might have been some electromagnetism going on with me or something. I don't know. But I, I'm not sensitive either. So um, so I, I've never had an experience like that. But that's absolutely brilliant, Cass. Thanks for sharing that. I really mean it. Not brilliant. No problem. And, Thank um, you for taking my call. Not at all. Have a nice evening with Danny. And don't be don't be ignoring the kids. Do not turn off the lights in the living room. And do that stingy <laughs> that stingy thing that we my parents used to do years ago. Get out and give them some sweets. But I'm sure you will. Cass, lovely to meet you. And thank you for that. And you. Take care. Bye for now. What a story, eh? Fantastic. Wonderful stuff, that. I know there's a friend of ours who might be listening to this in Spain. Uh, who might very well be listening to it, and uh, this will make a lot of sense to him. I'm speaking, of course, of none other than Mark Boyarski. Uh, do reach out to the programme between now and 7 o'clock. There's plenty of time, and let us know. I want to hear um, your stories uh, of encounters, of visitations, and I don't mean extraterrestrial. I mean of relatives who have passed on. Maybe a story like Cass. Maybe you spent some time in a house or in a building and something happened there. I really want to hear these stories. It's Tuesday's Richie Allen Show. My name is Richie Allen. We're going to the mobile phones. Caller, welcome to the programme. Who am I speaking with? Are you talking to Marcus? How are you doing, Richie? Are you well, mate? Marcus, I'm not too shabby, mate. Not too shabby at all. Nice to hear from you. What have you got to tell Lovely us? What, to hear what? from you. Right, OK. I'm, I'm going to talk... Do you know what? I didn't even think I was going to call in tonight and I, I just heard what you set up at the beginning, and I went, oh, my God. Right, so I'm going to cut to the chase. At five years old, I started crying as a five-year-old kid at a house four doors down from me. I looked up the top of the stairs, and guess what? It's really weird. So your last caller, I saw the granny, okay? And I'm going to get down to the... the I, Hang I'm on talking. a second now. So four doors, four doors down. So did you did you see your granny or did you see a no, granny? No, 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 the granny. And I, I, I cried my fucking eyes. Oh, right. I've got to put the. Uh... All right, we're gonna we're gonna leave Marcus alone. I think. Um, thanks, Marcus. We'll we'll do it another time. Uh, let's go to Mark. Marcus next. Mark. Let's get Mark on. 
Mar- Marcus might have had a sherbet or two, um, as as people are entitled to do of an evening. Mark was next up. Um, the WhatsApp number is open as well. I'll give you the WhatsApp details. It's zero. Uh, seven five six five nine four double two seven zero zero seven five six five nine four double two seven zero. We might have Mark. Mark, are you there? Hello, Mark. Mark, that's you. I can hear you. Are you there? No, he's gone. Okay. All right. We'll get uh, somebody else on. In the meantime, um. Let me play the, uh, the the jingle for you. Here are the contact details for the programme. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. It's your call. Skype. Chat with Richie. Or call 0161-818-2018. If you're calling from overseas, it's plus 44-161-818-2018. Talk to Richie now. Lots of people trying to get through, as you heard there. Lots and lots of people trying to get through. 0161-818-2018. And I've given you the WhatsApp details. Um, I've had about 300 messages from people. Good evening, people. Um, thank you for them. I'll try to get to one or two of them in a moment, but the calls are coming in thick and fast. Caller, welcome to the programme. Who am I speaking with? Richie, did I just get cut off there? I caught you off because I thought you were a bit under the weather. You started swearing. Oh, no, 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 mate. No, no. He, he, got emotion- he just got emotional, mate. All right, I, I Tom. Remember, so I, I, I apologise 100%. No, it's just, I, I, I just remember sometime in the past you, you dropped the C word on the show, a bit of previous oh, there, oh, so... God. No, it 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 it, it, it is a, it is a tea time show, Marcus. Listen, let's get through it. Right, so you were four doors down at the top of the stairs. Yeah. You saw a granny, but not your granny. What happened? No, and I cried my eyes out, and, it, and my parents were pulling me away from this house, and uh, I was like, oh, and they wanted me to stay as a kid, uh, as being babysitting, basically. I don't know if that was something, but I felt something. Let's fast forward, okay, until um, Riviera Lights, which was a very famous club in Bedfordshire, which was built on, uh, I didn't know this at the time, and this goes all to, what was his name, the guy who did the ghost hunting and all that kind, uh, um, the Glondair guy. Oh yeah, the, the, the only one I can think of is Derek Akora, but I think he's, he's, de- he, one, he's dead now, one. yeah. He actually turned up there and said, this place is bloody haunted, and he was right, and I was working in that place, and I, I saw the black shadow, I was getting some ice uh, as a DJ, and I ran upstairs, as you do, working behind the bar, and I've gone up to the top floor, got some ice out, and all of a sudden, this black shadow went past me. And I was like, Jesus Christ, that's, that's a bit weird. And it, was, it, it, it turned out to be the most haunted place in the UK. Now, I don't believe in all that kind of stuff, but I actually do believe in that maybe, okay, we're actually haunting our past. Because we're all spirits, aren't we? What a what a concept that is! So we and now now this is um we saw this concept in a, in a film starring Nicole Kidman called The Others. We don't want to give any spoilers ah, there now. Yes, you're right. Actually, Richard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, uh, I forgot about that. Do you remember that the concept? I mean, we can't give the the game away because people might not have seen it. But it's kind of on those lines. The idea that we are actually the ghosts and not the. <laughs> And maybe that what we perceive to be ghosts are in fact the living people. Wouldn't that be some mind-blowing reality if that turned out to be true? Fantastic, well, really. <laughs> I mean, I've got to get but why, hang on a second now, Marcus, hang on, hang on. Why are you so dismissive yeah, yeah. of 
I mean, let's leave that theory to one side. Why are you so dismissive of the, the possibility that the presences were real? I mean, you said the place had been had been earmarked or it had been cited as a very haunted place. And then well, you're there and you experience things. You know, maybe it is okay, real. So, so I was working in a nightclub, so I was playing some... And I do believe music vibrations, and I'm sure you as a DJ, and I do love... And I'm going to plug your show, no matter what now, on Sunday. <laughs> it is wicked. And I love your stories. Thanks very much, well Mitch. But you're a proper DJ. You're a proper DJ. You can mix music. You can do all that proper vinyl stuff. That's a different thing entirely. That's a, a, a level mm. above me. But you're, you're so quick, and I'm kind of like this myself, to dismiss it, even though it's known to be haunted, and even though you experience something a bit unsettling. And yet you think, nah, nah, can't be. Maybe it is. This is the thing, right? Maybe it is. Maybe it is real. Well, I, the thing is, Richie, is I, I, I don't believe in ghosts. I don't think they're ghosts. That, 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 you know, I, I, and the, the weird thing is, that, that's why I was asking the music side of things, is because you feel vibrations with music, yeah? You know, you know when you hear a good tune, it's a good tune. And that's the vibrations, uh, good vibrations, good good example of that. Or, yeah. Uh, and... When you hear a, a track or, 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 or any kind of music, you played the Harvest Moon the other week on your Sunday Melodies, and I thought, bloody brilliant. Never heard that tune before. I fell in love with it straight away. Because I read the, I read the tune through the music and the vibrations of it, if you get me. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it does, yeah. Yeah, it does make sense to me. Okay, so if you take that, okay, and then put it into your family and your loved ones and do you know what the the funny thing was i said to my mum i said look listen i listened to richie allen the other day he played harvest on the moon i put it in my mix on a sunday and i do a mix every sunday called the sunday rose and i put it in the mix and my mum actually sang tunes to me before i even told her well that's 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 telepathy then on some level isn't it well, there's some magic there. I, I think it's all down to vibrations, which I suppose David Icke probably... Very good, Marcus. Let's, let's, let's stay with this for a second. Let's ask our listeners. How many times were you not humming out loud, but actually singing a song in your head? And within minutes, your partner or your wife or your husband began singing it. This has happened to me a few times. And I'm absolutely okay. certain... Right. right, so at the, at, at, right, at the moment, by the rivers of Babylon, I thought, well, that's a bit or rah rah rhapsody by the Yeah, you know, it's a bit random. If we talk about, you know, let's keep that Palestine and Israel thing out of it. At the moment, um, fly me to the moon. There's a good one. Yeah. Um, uh, dire Straits, Love, uh, Money for Nothing. We've got to do you some know, you sort of... Get the, you get all the... Uh, we're, we're actually on a nice little musical chat, and I could go, uh, mate, you've got a USB coming for Christmas anyway, which is... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mar- Marcus, yeah. I, I, I'm, um, I'm, I'm going to move on and take another call, because I am getting absolutely, yeah, absolutely hammered but, uh, with I, calls. That, that was an excellent call, by the I, way. I, Thank you for that. I'm glad we got you, you back on. Well, I, I'm glad you enjoyed it, but Richie... And everybody who's listening, please listen to Richie's Sunday show because it's the bollocks. Sorry. 
Thank you very much. We'll, we'll, we'll put that on an advertising hoarding somewhere. Listen to Sunday Morning <laughs> Melodies because it's, it's the bollocks. Marcus, thanks for that. I'm glad we got you back. And I'm, I'm, I apologise if it's wrong. You're not under the weather. I thought you might have been. But uh, he's not. Have you done that before? I, th- this is absolutely true. I've been around my, my missus and I have had a tune in my head. I've not been singing it. And it hasn't been playing on one of my many devices in the studio or in the house. And within a few minutes, she begins to sing it. Now, that is telepathy. Others will say it's not telepathy. It's some sort of energy thing going on there. There's an energy thing going on there. There might be, but uh, it's weird. Try that yourself until it hits. You might, it might take you a while. But don't do it like, don't do it constantly. But do it once or twice a day over a week, you know. Try it. In your head, sing a song. You could sing zombie, because that goes in your head zombie in your mind but don't sing it out loud don't move your lips don't hum do it a couple of times and i think you'll be surprised at how often somebody in your vicinity somebody you know or love they start to actually sing it out loud and there's something weird going on with that caller welcome to the program uh, who, who am i speaking with hi richie it's wayne hello hello wayne hi how, how are you doing yeah i've, I've um yeah, I'm, uh, I'm really pleased, really pleased you, you've, uh, I've got through. <laughs> Good, mate, yeah. It's miraculous anybody who's getting through. We're getting so many calls coming coming in. Wayne, what would you like to say? Go ahead. Yeah, um, no, I wanted to call about the supernatural for, um, for the last couple of years, actually. So I was really pleased when you, when you had the, um, the programme um, program come up. Um, but I've had a lot of, um, a lot of supernatural uh, Type experiences going back to childhood, covering pretty much most of the um, the phenomena. Uh, I'm currently filming a podcast for somebody, which is going to be a couple of hours long on on, on um, all about the paranormal. But um, if I could just give you a couple of my experiences, which I think you which I think you might like. Do I, I'm mindful it's quarter past six and I'm getting a lot of calls coming in. I do want to kind of move it along, Wayne. But do by all means share an experience with us. Go ahead. Yeah, one which was. Um, Way back when I was uh, when I was a kid, um, possibly a uh, small child, possibly even before I could talk, because I was uh, I was very late speaking, so I, I can't write, I can't quite remember. But um, I grew up in um, in a place called Bispam Village, which is just on the outskirts of Blackpool up north, and we lived in a um, uh, I lived in a maisonette. You know, that's one of these houses on top of um, on top of some flats, if you know what I mean. There. So I was about um, so my I was in the small bedroom, which was about two floors. So I was two floors up in um, in Bispam, and opposite to the flats where I lived, there was a really old church, which we used to play in when we were kids. Um, yeah, yeah, we used to play in the you know in the cemetery around the gravestones. You know, that, that's that's kind of a weird kid I was really. <laughs> And, um, and one night, uh, either late night or early hour, um, late night, early hours of the morning, um, I was woken, um, by the sound of, um, by the sound of, of bells ringing, you know, like the, um, the traditional sound, which, uh, which the bells make that do, 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 you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 And I was woken, I was woken by that. Um, early hours of the, uh, you know, late at night um, when I was a little kid and 
it, it woke me up, you know, straight away. And it was really loud um, all around the bedroom. And I ran over to my, uh, um, uh, to the little window, which was at the end of my bed. Um, I think my bed was actually pushed up against the window so I could just stand on the window. And I pulled the curtain back and, um, and down below on the grass was um, a little girl, must have been about 10 years old, that was looking up um, at the window, all dressed in white. And there was um, a bright white, um, the, ho- the whole of the front, the whole of the lawn um, by the church, just below my window was completely lit up with um, like, a, like a giant white orb, um, if that makes sense. I, can't, I don't know how else to describe it. But it was see-through. And in the center was this, was this little girl also, also dressed in white, um, just looking up at the window. Um, me, meanwhile, um, you know, I heard these, you know, the, these church bells, you know, banging away. And I ran back to, um, you know, I ran back to the bed or to the other side of the bed. And then for, for some unknown reason, um, a few seconds later, went back to the window and pulled the curtain back again. And this little girl's face was literally uh, looking at me um, through the window, two floors up. Um, at which time I started, um, you know, I started, uh, I started screaming um, the house down. Because this is and, this is kind of an elevation thing. This is this this is something this is something that's levitating. So what did you think it was? Um, I've, I've I've no idea, Richie. I was just just absolutely yeah. terrified. I mean, I mean, I mean, um, all, all, all I could see when I went back to the window was this was this face of his little girl just just looking straight in the window. And was it and, was it an angry was it angry was it angry or was it was it. Um, was was the was the girl making any? Was there a facial expression, or was it blank? What what sort of? No, 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 just no, just just um, just blank. Wow. Um, but this is the thing you were saying about what you know was it? You know, did I feel any threat um, from it or whatever? At the time, I was absolutely um, I was absolutely terrified. And the next thing I remember was my mum running in the bedroom trying to find out what was going on, and. Um, and uh, and then the, and then the, uh, these church bells, you know, stopped ringing, and my mum couldn't hear anything. She didn't and, hear them, and, um, and obviously hadn't hadn't seen anything. Um, and I had a number of instances, not as vivid as that, but uh, um, but at one time, you know, because they thought I was such, a, you know, it was thought I was such a weird kid. Um, you know, they were talking about you know taking me to uh, um, to see someone because I thought I was schizophrenic or something. Right. But, but 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 I knew I wasn't because I just used to I just used to see things. But as regards whether it was a benign presence or whether it was an evil presence, the thing is, for for many years later into adulthood, I was absolutely I was still very very frightened by even recalling the experience. I didn't used to like to think about it. I didn't used to talk about it. And I always used to just imagine that it was an evil presence. And it's only maybe the last, I don't know, maybe the last five or six years, but I've actually started to think about it and thought that maybe I was jumping maybe to a conclusion wasn't. now. Maybe it wasn't. This is interesting. And it, a, number it, of, yeah. a, a number of people have reached out to me today to, to talk about that, that this might be far more common in childhood than people realise yeah. and maybe other children maybe maybe people have these experiences as children and maybe many adults do not recollect them because you've heard earlier on people are saying to us that children are very very sensitive to 
what 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 might yeah, be happening yeah. in other realms or in other in, in in other dimensions and maybe we grow out of that or life beats us out of it maybe you were very sensitive to these things when you were a kid maybe but it didn't leave you you said as you got older you still there were there were occasions no, when things happened until, no literally until, I mean, i'm 58 now until until about 10 years ago i used to have this strange thing where i'd have the curtains half closed half open you know that, and I, which is what i started doing in early childhood. And I did it right. until about 10 years ago. And it's only recently that I've been thinking, you know, I have absolutely no reason to actually think that that was an evil presence. It could have just yeah. been like a guardian angel figure or something like that. So, so, but, but I think I jumped to that conclusion just because it frightened me. Well, of course, you're a child me. and it's completely unnatural for something to be levitating outside your second floor bedroom window. It, it would scare the pants out of... Off of anybody, Wayne. Yeah, I've never had. I I wish I had really. I or maybe I didn't. I don't remember. A lot of people. I've, we've had so many text messages come through the app. People saying that things happened to them when they were younger, and they saw things when they were younger, but they didn't when they they got older. And a lot of people are saying that imaginary friends are not always. In what you were saying about yeah yeah about child because because certainly. Um, incidents has dropped off when I went into adulthood and then I went for a few years without seeing anything at all and, and I still see things now and I have experiences now but nowhere near nowhere near um, as when I was in my early childhood and in my and in my teenage years um, another um, another thing uh, as quick as again, you can win because I've got to take more calls because I promised I'd move it along I mean I'm fascinated by yeah. what you said there but as quick as you can and then I'll move on and don't be offended by that I'm, I've had no, about no. 200 missed calls already um, this evening brilliant so far Wayne yeah. go ahead very quickly go on yeah there was a there was a crematorium you know Blackpool crematorium was, was just a few miles from um, you know from where I lived at that address and every week in the local gazette they used to have, they were running a series of ghost stories. And one such story was, um, um, you know, was, was uh, there was couples who were, who were courting, for want of a better word, in cars parked in the, uh, in the grounds of the crematorium. And, this, and, this, and there were stories of um, people reporting groaning noises coming from the trees, you know, other than the actual cars where the couples were. Yeah. And, uh, and have seen things like, um, such as lights in the trees of the crematorium. And, um, and, being a, and me and a couple of friends, you know, when we, um, when we found out about this, you know, I think it was, it was most likely my idea again, um, you know, because we always used to do things like this. But we went on a, on a, on a bike ride down to Blackpool Crematorium. I mean, this was, you know, really late at night. I mean, this was, you know, this was in the days when basically we just went everywhere, you know. Um, and my mum used to go out and, you know, and she used to have to go out and work some nights. So, so maybe it was even very late and I sneaked out. But me and a couple of friends went on our bikes down to the crematorium and we we're in the driveway of the, of, the, um, of the crematorium and we got off our bikes and we had a little bit of a mooch around. And I don't know if you've ever seen a film called um, uh, Night of the Demon where, uh, where this, this, gold, this orb, it's like an orb like, um, with, with kind of a smoky white orb come, it comes down from the trees in the Night of the Demon. And I've only watched that the last couple of days. And this is literally very similar to, to what we actually saw, um, uh, like a white orb, a bright light, 
with sort of like uh, a billowy smoke kind of coming out of the sides, coming out, you know, you know, down through the trees onto the driveway. I can still picture it now. And then we heard these loud groaning noises, like something straight out of a horror film, Richie. Amazing. Um, I mean, it, literally, it was as if there were speakers in trees. In the trees. Um, all, all, all around us. And yeah. importantly, it, it, it like, like stereo sound. And importantly, you're not experiencing this in isolation. There are, you're, you're in a group, so everybody can hear this. Oh, yeah, there was, I think there was, there, there was my, two, my, my two best school friends there, yeah, at the time, yeah. And what did you do? Did you leg it or did you stick around to find out yeah, what was happening? Yeah. We, we, were, we were absolutely terrified and we jumped <laughs> on our bikes and, 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 we, we, and, and, we, and we pedaled home. Fantastic. And my two, and my two classmates, they never wanted to... Uh, I was quite happy to speak about that, um, unlike the bedroom incident. But, the, um, but my two classmates never wanted to speak about it and, and they, they just shut me up whenever I used to talk about it. Is that right? Um, they wanted but, yeah. to put it behind them. It never happened, Wayne. Don't speak exactly. to anybody about it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And just, just, just in 20 seconds, the orb then, what, what's going on there? It's obviously an energetic presence, Wayne, but what type of energetic presence do we think orbs are? Any idea quickly? Has he gone? Is he? We've lost the connection. Genuinely. Sorry about that. I wanted to get his answer on that. Maybe you'll help us out there, dear listener. What are orbs? Orbs. What is an orb? Um, when you watch those most haunted programs back on on Sky, I don't watch them, to be honest. Ever since Yvette Fielding blew the whistle on Derek Okora and said that a lot of the noises were being made by the crew. Remember that? Remember that, old jazz? Um, yeah, um, Paul is next. Paul is standing by. Um, let me get him on, uh, if, I can, if I can find it. Where is he? Let's see. See if we can get Paul on. Paul is, I'm keeping an eye, you see, on who's next, and it is Paul. Sorry about this. This is where I mentioned to Jean-Anne, a producer would be ideal, and somebody to answer the call, so we'd know who's next, and we get an idea of what people are going to say. Let's welcome Paulie to the programme. Hi, Paulie. Hi, Richie. How are you doing? Not too shabby, mate. It's Halloween. We've had some fantastic calls, stories thus far. You're under pressure, Paulie. You're under pressure I here. I, I had a couple of stories, and I think I'm going to drop one of them. No, do no, don't drop one. Don't drop one. We'll, we'll see. No, we'll see oh, how the time you, is going. We'll see how the yeah, well, 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 I think, yeah, I think one of them, but one of them's pretty good. The other one, I think, probably perhaps by comparison to some of the other guys that have been on. Um, I just, just very briefly, I've been listening to the show for eight years, and I absolutely love it, and think you're doing a wonderful Thank job. Thank you very anyway. much. Just man. wanted to get that in. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah. So I, we, we moved into our house. Um, 12, 13 years ago, um, my eldest came along not long after. She's 12 now. When she was about six months old, I was feeding her in, in, in the bedroom because um, I always do the uh, the last feed of the evening. And I was sitting in the nursing chair looking out into the hallway. My wife was sat on the bed and we were just chatting and I was just feeding the baby. Um, and then I was winding her and she was kind of looking out into the hallway uh, and she was playing peepo. It was really, really strange. Her head kind of like craned out and looked around like the door frame and then back, and then she did it again. And every time she would do it, she would laugh, like a really half hearty laugh. Like it was really kind of bizarre. Like she was playing peepo with something that wasn't there. Um, there's no other way to to rationalise it. There was not, there was nothing there. There was nothing like a anything kind of hanging, um, decorative that would have caught her attention. It was just literally a computer. That, was now, that is spooky. That this is paranormal yeah. activity, the movie type territory now, Paulie. <laughs> this is what we're talking about, isn't it? About yeah. the sort of existential powers that kids have that kind of dissipates as they get older. Playing um, the peep game with with, yeah. with nobody. 
I mean, that's yeah. what's really, really weird is that computer that was because it was like a stairwell that went up to the um, attic um, and under that stairwell it used to be a computer. And then a few few weeks later, in the middle of the night, it's like four in the morning, um, her favourite song came on on the computer by itself in the middle of the night and woke us up. Like, it was The Wiggles. I don't know if you've heard of them. There's a there's a film on Amazon Prime about their history at the moment. Um, they're an Australian music group for kids, like for, for like their preschoolers. And she was absolutely like besotted by them when she was really little. And um, yeah, the music just came on at like four in the morning. That's... It's the strangest thing. This song, Fruit Salad, that she loved, it just came on and it was like, what? This is just the weirdest thing. But nothing else has happened. And never really felt like there was anything here that was sinister, you know? Um, nothing malevolent. Just, yeah. Nothing malevolent. No, just something no else. nothing at all. You know? Yeah, there's, um, something, yeah. there's something going on there. I'm spooked a little boy playing peep with something that you can't see or a person or or, or 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 whatever it happens to be that yeah that that would freak me out a little bit now and of course when they're very young they can't articulate this poly so you can't say what is it you're speaking to or who are you speaking to there because they can't tell you well yeah she was literally a baby she was like six or seven months it was yeah. way before she started even saying that you know it's just but she was just laughing and like it, it, her head was moving like and then she would laugh and then she'd move back. Like it was the strangest thing to see her doing because she'd not done anything like that before um, or, or hadn't since as a baby either. You know, it's just that one particular time. It's just she was clearly seeing something that we couldn't see. That we couldn't see. And how old is she now? She's 12. Yeah. She's 12, right? Sorry, you, you mentioned she's 12. Um, would, 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 after that, did you keep an eye on her? I mean, would there have been anything else over the years where, I mean, no, the song, nothing. the song playing in the middle of the night, I mean, my God, I mean, that's just, that's, uh, that's unsettling. But, um, yeah, yeah. because I, the reason I asked is you, you imagine maybe she's sensitive and maybe over the years, maybe, maybe, maybe she's seen or, you, you know, or, or heard something or maybe she has that little bit of, um, like we heard earlier on from, from other callers. You know, knowing yeah, the, knowing the things. Cassie's cool. Uh, yeah. Cassie's story was was mind blowing. You know, Incredibly. what she was talking about. You know, and that was as an you know, yeah. So yeah, but no, nothing like that at all since. Because you meet and people, don't you, Paulie? Who you meet people who have experienced knowing things, but they don't understand why they know those things. You know, I've met people over the years who knew knew immediately when something catastrophic had happened somewhere else in the world, but something catastrophic to somebody they loved, they knew. I remember years ago hearing about a young man who had gone to America to seek um, employment from, from Ireland, but he had been a musician, Paulie, and he'd been a yeah. decent musician, but he was playing in cover bands and what have you. Anyway, he wasn't long in North America, God love him, and he was killed by a car crossing a street, no drink involved, it was a daytime thing, and yeah. his mother collapsed um, in her kitchen. This happened in the early morning in, in Canada somewhere, and it would have been dinner time in Waterford in Ireland, and his mother was overcome with misery and grief and wailing. No mobile phones, no nothing. And they found out an hour or so later that the lad had um, had been killed and something happened. She instinctively knew something energetically hit her right in the heart, uh, Paulie. And that's a true story. There's a lot of witnesses to that in that house. Yeah, yeah I can believe it, you know, and I don't yeah. ever dismiss anything like that either. 
Um, my dad once told me a funny story. He was from the Middle East. He was from Lebanon. He told me that there was a story. I don't know if it was someone he knew as a friend of a friend or something. Some guy had fallen off a scaffold and he'd fallen quite a few stories. I can't remember how many it was there, like six or seven, but he'd landed in a sandbank and he, he broke his fall and he was all right. He got up and he was shaken. Um, and he basically, in, in, in a daze, he just thought he would, because he'd run out of cigarettes, he'd go to the shop to buy some cigarettes. He crossed the road and he was hit by a car and he died. It's the weirdest, you know, it's almost like, you know, your time is up, your time is up. Yeah. Little, little stories like this that, you know, they're esoteric. You can't really, there's no kind of logical explanation. Um, no, we touched on we touched on this the other day in another programme. It is a true, it is an absolute fact that where airline crashes have occurred and there's been loss of life, those particular flights had an above average number of pre-flight cancellations, Paulie. This wow. is a fact. So for, mm. for some people, there is a sense of foreboding or a sense of, I really don't want to get on that plane. And maybe they don't even consciously kind of think about that or, or try to understand it. They just decide not to get on the flight. So something is going to happen. And for some who are very sensitive, maybe it's like, I shouldn't get on that flight, but they couldn't explain why. And how do you think they feel? When they find out an hour or two later that the flight has gone down. Quite quite astonishing, this stuff, really. I think you'll agree with me, though. I think especially in the last three years, and like, you know, I, I, as, as I just said before, I've been listening to the show for a lot longer than that. Um, I think in the last three years, a lot of the, a lot of the news stories, as they've broken, you know, you, you have more of a reaction from your gut than you do from your head, you know? And I think that you should never really kind of um, lose that. I think when you kind of try and rationalize things sometimes you kind of lose it you know um and i think maybe that's what's happened in the case of what you're talking about those flights that people have had this gut reaction and thought well, do you know what i really shouldn't get on it yeah you know? yeah i can't remember paulie just before i take another call excellent call by the way brilliant calls uh today every one of them uh thank you to the callers thus far it um that was looked into by a number of journalists and a number of university academics because they didn't believe it. They said, no, no, we're not having it. I'm not having it that flights that crashed or flights which went down had an above average or more than usual number of cancellations. And then they found out that it did. And generally, that's where the studies stop. They don't, um, they don't um, you know, tend to try and look into why. But, but yeah, I, I think we have... There's a lot more going for us. We, we have a lot more ability we have more abilities than we have any real understanding of and i think that's one of them perception yeah on some level but um and it's been suppressed isn't it i'm sure yeah. over time you know we've lost the connection with that and how it works and basically being able to control it to a greater extent what about fluoride in the water and the pineal gland and all of these yeah, things well we maybe about? yeah you know again i don't dismiss anything and that is all stuff that's been discussed for quite a long time isn't it brilliant call paulie Thanks, Pat. Really Pat. nice to chat, to chat with you. Thank you for taking my call. My pleasure, mate. Thank you very much. And thanks for the for, for, for the support and for the kind words about the programme as well. Paulie there and his daughter. Have you experienced that, dear listener? Have you experienced that where you've got a very young child? Have you ever experienced anything like that where he or she appeared to be in conversation with or gesturing with or playing with something that you couldn't see I don't I shouldn't say something but somebody you couldn't see has that ever occurred to you at all uh, Patrick is next up and he's standing by it's a 23 and a half minutes to the top of the hour it's the Richie Allen show for Tuesday October 31st 2023 it is Halloween today 
it's Halloween. You might be trick-or-treating. Patrick was there, but he's not there now. Let's try him again one more time. I tell you, some man for one man, keeping an eye on who's next and who's next, who's, who, who's, who's lined up. Can't seem to get Patrick. We'll give him a minute. Maybe he's there now. Are you there, Patrick? Hello? Hi there. Welcome. Patrick, it's you. You're on Hello. the air. Good evening. How are you? And he's gone. See, well, that we, we could put that, that even down. Something spooky is going on. We'll come back to Patrick in a moment. In the meantime, Mark, God love him, has been trying to get through. So let's get Mark on. We've never had so many calls. We're, the, the show is always blessed with a variety of calls. When, when we do the phone-in regularly about politics or about COVID or about whatever. But it's been absolutely nuts today. It is Mark. Hello, Mark. How are you? And turn me down in the background, if you don't mind. Now, turn me down. I've turned you down for 20 seconds while you turn me down. So I can't hear myself back because I sound terrible. We all sound terrible when we listen back to ourselves, don't we? Well, I do when I listen back. Mark, have you turned me off? There you have. I have, Richie. Can you hear me? Ah, loud and clear. And you sound great. Where are you? Fantastic. The BBG himself. I'm in Dublin, Richie. We spoke about 18 months ago, if memory serves, or a year ago. I wish wish we had, mate. I wish we had. Did we not, Mark? We've got lots in common, I think, you know, on the radio front and stuff. But anyway, it's a Halloween out here and the bangers are going and the kids are knocking on windows. And indeed, you made me feel guilty a minute ago because uh, I I did that thing with the uh, shutters. You loser. You turned the lights off, you put the shutters down. It does. You do sound familiar to me. I wasn't chancing my arm when I said we'd spoken before. I thought we might have done, but obviously uh, we haven't. So forgive me for that. Listen, turn the lights on, open the shutters and get the sweets and no, I'm only joking. It's it okay, hard indoors, Richie. Hard indoors. Oh, the missus is doing it. Good on you. I, um, come here and I tell you, I tell you how totalitarian it's becoming around here. Mm. Do you know what we've not heard this year? You've already said it. We've not heard the bangers and the rockets. Well, it's Zero. correct now, isn't it? You know, you can't have bangers going off in case anyone gets their knickers in a nut. Yeah, but this is Salford. I would have thought around here there would have been very little adherence now to any diktats coming from Greater Manchester Police. But I'm wrong. We've heard nothing. Now, Guy Fawkes night is, what night is it? Is that the 5th of November? The 4th, the 5th, the 5th. 5th. Uh, of course, remember, remember. So mm. it is the 5th. I would hope we'll have fireworks on the 5th, but you never know. Anyway, I shouldn't be talking. It's over to you, pal. Okay, Richie, I'll, I, I'm aware of your time, right? So, <clears throat> well, I've kind of got two stories for you, but I'll, I'll get really quickly on the first one because it might be of interest to you being from the old country. I grew up in a house that was that Michael Collins had an office in. Now, some of your English listeners might not know, but the Irish certainly would. Um, and uh, it, indeed, it may very well have been the office he left as he went to Cork on his last journey, you know, before he was shot. You've, I'm absolutely gripped in... Okay, in, sorry, I was wondering where you're still No, there, no, right? geez, I'm gripped in, oh, okay, in Bale no, the Blaw in Cork. No, yeah, go on. No problem. Now, that... It's a barracks, right? It's uh, it, was, it was known as Portobello back in the day. And uh, it's Cahal Brewer now. And um, I only... I, I had an instance in that house. It didn't involve him, right? It just it was historic that he happened to be there. But there's a quick follow up to it. But the actual instance that happened to me is in the 1970s when I was only a young fella. I occupied uh, what was known as the master bedroom. I actually had a sister in the room as well. We were only kids like, you know, 
But I've seen maps and plans of that building as it was. You know, it dates from 1815, right? That whole barracks. And um, it was a dark, austere room always. But I saw plans of it, and it had been it, it had been an, an old British army, um, the mess, as you know, right? And uh, but the room had it had just two windows that faced right out onto uh, Rathmines Church, which, by the way, Terry Wogan was married in. But anyway, was he? Brilliant. Yeah, he was. I, I made me come for me communion there myself. But anyway, so look, here's what happened. Uh, and I'll go to my grave saying this, right? I woke up about four-ish in the morning. I can't, for God's sake, it was the 1970s. Well, it was early anyway, right? And uh, there's this, uh, the only thing I can describe wasn't menacing in the least, right? Standing at the door, and I can still see it, was this lady in a, the long, you know, the classic long blue cloak. And very serene face, you know, not in the least bit menacing. So um, Jesus, even now, and I'm talking many years later, Richie, the hair is stood up on my head. I can remember it standing up on my head, right? I haven't much else to report. I gingerly went back under the sheets and by God, I did not put my head up for some some hours later. Now, my father was an army officer. He was, uh, God rest him, he was full colonel. He was in, you know, he's right there from 20 up to the age of 60. So we, <clears throat> another story, I mean, we were in the Lebanon and everything when all that original 67 war kicked off, you yeah, know. Yeah, that's right. And, and he was back there again um, in 83. He was camp commanded. But anyway, look, I went down and said, Mum, Dad, listen, I saw what I saw last night. And, and of course, it was the classic... Eat your breakfast, of course you did, right? <laughs> yeah, that's so right. That, that's what it was. But I know what I saw. Now, as I got older, wait till I tell you, shame on me. My wife was, my wife's a Belfast woman. And before we had kids and I was down here in, in Dublin and she was coming down, but I'd been doing some research. And uh, she was coming down to tell me she was pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just like the hour or two before she walked into the house, I was after finding this kind of gem of information yeah. on the internet about the old house. So it was like, you know, I have something to tell you. And I said, yeah, yeah, I have something to tell you as well. <laughs> Go on. But uh, honest to God. Um, so there had been a poisoning in the barracks in 1874. And uh, Gunnar Donaldson, as he was known, was found laid out and um there was a lady with a, a double-barreled name, Anne Wyndham Marshall. Now, this is going way back, so don't worry about, like, legalese or anything. I can't attach the two, except that there had been a court case in Dublin. And even though the evidence had been stacked against her, um, she'd gotten off, right? Um, so I was thinking, if I could attach the house, it might have been a grieving or something or a shock just replaying itself under certain conditions. I'm wide open to this. Yeah, Absolutely. And, 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 you know, some people say like... Uh, Residual, they say, don't they? Yeah, they do. And there's a stone tape theory and this kind of stuff. And and as I said, this thing was just there, right? It was just there. And um, if I could tie the house to the incident, it would make a lot of sense to me. But what happened was when um, the British left in 1922, they took all the records back to Kew Gardens in London um, so the Brit records went back. Um, now, fast forward, I had a heart incident there a few years back. I'm OK, like I've stitched up and what have you. But um, I got an invite to the barracks 
and the lads brought me along, you know, it was just old army thing. And um, I went along. They didn't know I'd lived in that house. And they said, before it's place, we're going to show you now, right? We're going to show you this fucking building here, right? And, and like, I'm going, you're showing me. I lived in it. Like, I lived in it from 1968 to 1992, you know? Yeah. And uh, the lads were there and they had high-vis jackets on them and all the rest of it, very military. Um, and uh, they were tell- telling me stories about disembodied voices and fellas had no interest in paranormal whatsoever. Just, you know, squaddies going about the duty. Um, apparently, lots had happened. Now, to be honest, that was the only incident I had. And... Very quickly, because I am aware of your time. No, just... no, no, hang on, hang on, stay with this. This is very interesting, because you definitely had this experience, and now your back is there, and they're mm. saying, these tough guys, these squatties, these hard men, like a drink, mm. um, they're saying, we, we've we experienced things in this place. I mean, that must have been um, obviously fascinating to you to hear that, but also validating in some way. It was totally validating because, as you know, at the beginning of this conversation, I said, I'll go to my grave knowing what I saw. Yeah. Right. And I, you know, sometimes the little voice in your head kind of says, ah, you know, you were young and all the rest of them. But I wouldn't be true to the little fella that I was. And as you know, kids are very sensitive. I, you know, and open far more to, to anything else. I had no idea what the hell I was supposed to have seen. So, yes, it was valid validation. They were talking about. Um, disembodied voices, uh, whistles. Now they were kind of connecting it with the whole Michael Collins thing because he had a back stairs there, right? Um, that apparently he'd go up and he'd go down and um, he'd be whistling to himself. But he took off in the Crossley tender or whatever it was, this kind of armoured car they had, um, and went down to Mal- or went down to Cork, and you know the rest of the history there. Yeah, you know? yeah. Do you think in with with this idea of a residual energy? Do you think that? In some places, I, I remember reading the book *The Shining*. I I, yeah. I read the book. I love the book. It's so much more. Obviously, with books generally are much more detailed. Here is Johnny. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean the film is. Stephen King never liked the film, did he? But the film is great. But yeah. the book is something else. And in the book and in the film, uh, Scatman Crothers, I think, plays the cook who's got the shine. Um, whose name will come to me in a moment. And he tells the young boy Danny, doesn't he? He tells them that sometimes awful things happen. If something happens and it's very, very awful, it can sometimes leave a trace of itself behind and sensitive people can pick up on that. Because he says to the kid, doesn't he, Danny, you might see things every now and then when you open a a hotel room door or a bedroom door. Don't worry about it. It's not actually there, but the memory of it is there. I'm bang wide open to that. um, I I know, and the the thing is... um, Richie, I think it can be an explosion of grief or a, a traumatic incident like you described there in the States. Listen, just really quickly, and I'm, I mean it, right? Because I am aware of your time. So my mother grew up in the Curra in County Kildare, and you might remember that there was airplanes uh, crash landing all over the place during the war. There was, that's right. You know, and that's how she met dad, because dad had been a cadet down there. But that's another story. Right. So she was down in the middle of of the Curra. And of course, the Curra camp was where the Allied and the Luftwaffe um, guys got interned. You know, there was a kind of gentleman's agreement. There's a whole story in that by itself where they were allowed to go out. And if some of them married Irish women and whatever, you know, they were allowed to go out as long as they didn't kind of try to escape, you know. 
So indeed, one Luftwaffe crew, as they were being led away to, in, to be incarcerated, they gave her the dog. Uh, they had a lassie dog with them up and up in the Heinkel or the bomber or whatever it was, you know. But anyway, as you probably are, were aware, bovine tuberculosis or TB, as it was known, was rampant um, in the 1930s and 40s in Ireland. And my mother contracted that disgraceful, really serious um, condition, that disease. So she was like 11 or 12. And um, <clears throat> she was taken in an ambulance up to up to Dublin, a place called Piedmont Sanatorium. It still exists, although I'm not sure in what capacity. And if you if you Google it, you'll just see old black and white sepia photos of um, people's beds literally put out in the grounds, Richie, where because uh, uh, supposedly the fresh air was to do them good, you know. Anyway, she got to know a girl from uh, Galway. We'll call her Nan- Nancy. Say right, say Nancy. My mother's name was Emily. And um, poverty was in the mix, as you can imagine. But everybody back then was poor anyway, so it didn't really make any odds. So one day, mum said to her, uh, how are you doing, Nancy? You're all right. And Nancy said to her, I sure I am, Emily, but sure it won't be long now. I know you're going to roll your eyes, but just bear with, right? She says, it won't be long now before the old banshee's coming for me. So my mother thought nothing of it, right, Richie? And... Um, a couple of days late, a couple of nights later, they shared a, a dormitory room. Now, my mother swore to this. God rest her. Right. And um, about very early in the morning, this almighty racket took place in the bed across from my mother. This disembodied noise. She described it as a clawing noise, Richie. It was like a mix, she said, between a human in pain and an animal. And there was no there was no movement from Nancy or whatever. If she, my mother was literally transfixed, transfixed as this noise, this howling. She described like a caterwauling, you know, that kind of noise that a cat makes when it's scared but is prepared to fight. Yeah. She said it was a mangled keening as well that, that was going on. And um, you can probably guess, uh, the, like the next day, this child uh, and had died. Um, and would you know, would you believe it, Richie? They were so poor that her father arrived up in an old banger across all the way from Galway, which is about 300 miles across. And uh, he put her in a in a coffin and they were so poor because he couldn't afford an ambulance or or uh, um, or a hearse. They strapped the coffin to the top of the car. No and that was the last way. she saw Nancy. Now, she told me that story when I was a boy, Richie. And years later, it stuck with me because it was so vivid. Years later, I asked her, come on, come clean. What about yeah, that? Yeah, it was a wind-up mum, yeah. She, you know, uh, she maintained that story. And uh, um, it's scra- it scared the crap out of me. I hope it's not scaring anybody else. Well, but- she's not lying, is she, your mum? She's not lying. I've heard a similar story from um, an old aunt of mine going back years and... I, I, nothing about the story or her demeanor telling it gave me any clue that she was lying. Um, this is, this is obviously steeped in Irish folklore. Some people say that banshees are not always malevolent, that there are friendly banshees as well who can be women of peace. I'm actually looking this up now while I'm talking to you. Well, Richie, you have it with the dot on the eye. You're spot on because I too have researched it, right? It is, it is, it's almost like an elemental, some people call it, that it, it attaches itself to certain families, Now you know, in Ireland. And it is not a malevolent thing, as you said. 
it is it's it's purgative in nature. Um, it's there to console and to move on into the next realm. And would you believe, Richie, that, uh, you know, not only does it attach itself to certain families, but it's also travelled over the sea, just like your earlier story that you related. Um, a couple of cases it's happened in, in, in America, now more or less back in the 1850s or early 1900s, you know, where literally this panchee would show up like 3,000 miles away. It's amazing, yeah. So look, I've taken more than enough of your time. No, you you haven't. Well, I'm, I'm, all the time, Richie. No, I'm just going. No, it. it's been brilliant. You've had you've had as much as anybody else. You've not had any more than anybody else. I'm about to wrap it up anyway. But mm. I am, I am, I am. I'm a very good uh, multitasker. So while we've been chatting and while I've been listening to you, I've looked you up not out of any kind of voyeurism sure, or. Sure. Um, but um, you might have heard Mark before, dear listener, because he's um his he's obviously got a beautiful broadcasting voice. So he's worked for RT Radio 1, Classic Hits, Adidas, the History Channel, Coca-Cola, Boots, the NHS, the Western Hotel, multiple museums. So next time you're in a museum and you get to put a little headset on you and you're being told about the, I don't know, this treasure of ISIS, it could be Mark, because it's Mark Manning you're listening to, who's a terrific voiceover oh, Richie, artist and you're, presenter. You're, you're, very, you're very good. And you know what? Someday, if I'll nip across there, we'll have a pint because I'm an old pirate radio man and I give you some light, nice stories about the Radio Dublins and Sunshine 101s of this world. You know? Well, I tell you what, let's do that on air sometime for the crack. I'd love to. Yeah, let's do it on air. Why, why waste it? In, I mean, in the pub, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about... Um, I can't say this. What are we supposed to talk about in the pub? We don't really... Um, tits, arse and Man United. But we won't do that. Um, but, but that's what we're... Apparently, <laughs> hey, that's what hey, blokes hey, do. Richie, the other one, you know, you and I... Um, uh, and Don't take this the wrong way. Like, I'm a fellow traveller, right? I, I just say to your listeners, you know, as Irish, some of us have problems with our THs, you know, me included. And we get very, we get very self-conscious about it, particularly if you're into broadcasting because of because of diction, you know. And the very funny thing is, you know, now I I have it kind of under wraps these days, but there's no consistency in it, as as you say yourself. Now, for voiceover, which is what I do these days, um, you see, I can click it in there. Um, you know, I have to get my THs, but you end up putting THs where they don't exist. On every <laughs> like here's a Christmas turkey or what time I know, is it? Yeah. It's terrible, isn't it? Or somebody pointed out the other day. I mentioned I was speaking to Thomas Binder from Switzerland, and oh, it's yeah, pronounced Thomas. It's Thomas. Yeah. Thomas that's right. That's but I, I, you're so self-conscious about it. I'm calling him Thomas, which is oh, not how it's pronounced. But I, um, I can help you, Richie. Thames is Thames. Right. <laughs> I know because we all know the Thailand one. We've, we've learned that one, but nobody tells us about no. Thames or Thomas's. But anyway, Richie, thanks for your time. No, thanks for your time, Mark. An absolute tonic. I'm going to make a note of, well, I'm going to connect Please. you via another Skype account and let's do a show about the old pirate days of radio. That'd be lovely. I'd love to do it. Thanks again for your time, mate. And I listen, I listen to you all the time. And I know, I just know instinctively your, your listenership here in Ireland is growing and growing and growing because we are not being served by our broadcasters here. We all know the story, and that again is another story. But we're not being served here. We're being, you know, we're getting atrocious plastic radio for for the main part. There are one or two outliers, uh, outliers, of course. But I mean, you know the old days of the, the gable and, and what yeah. have you. It just doesn't happen here here at all anymore. You Long know? gone, Mark. Well said, and thanks again for today. Brilliant. Thank you, Mark. Yeah, 
That's, bye for now. That's, that's pretty much it. We'll, we'll say goodbye to Mark and I'll say goodbye to you. I'm back with you tomorrow, of course, uh, Wednesday at 5 o'clock UK time. Gerardo Colmoan will join the programme tomorrow to talk about, not so much, well, we'll talk a little bit about what's gone on, what is going on in Gaza, but the wider picture and why it might be happening and um, who it benefits and where it's going because that's as important as as anything else really, isn't it? Um, thank you to everybody who called in. Everybody. The calls were absolutely brilliant. I really mean that. Real food for thought there. Um, just because I didn't read a single message, did I? I didn't because I didn't have time. But Patricia was in touch. Our Patricia. She says, Richie, I was the kid in my family who had spirit friends. My mom would hear me talking happily to whatever was there. My sister and I shared a room and I would always tell her who was with us tonight. I have lots of stories. Maybe sound scary to some people, but I was never scared, uh, says Patricia. Thanks for that, Patricia. Thanks to everybody who sent in a message tonight. Sorry I didn't read them out, but we had an enormous amount of calls and I've only got one pair of hands. I know you appreciate that, right? That's it. That's it for me. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. And until tomorrow, it's a bye from your BBG. Bye now. Closing out with Joey Scarberry.